going into a partnership, before getting in a bed with that person, you really have to know what their values are, how they act, and if they're you know truly a good person or not, right? You don't know that until you get to know that person. And you know, meeting someone at a conference or having lunch or dinner twice with them is not gonna bring out a person's true colors. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you build financial independence through real estate investing and build wealth on Main Street with real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Jason Lee. Jason is a successful real estate investor and broker based in San Diego, and today we're digging into lessons that he's learned as a multifamily investor, both in terms of executing deals, doing deals, and the mindset that it takes to be a successful multifamily investor. We dig into what it takes to build deal flow in the multifamily space, specifically the commercial multifamily space. If you want to get deals coming to you, well, you got to know how to go find them. And today we're talking about building relationships with brokers, the way to go about that, how to approach them correctly. And then we also dig into how Jason built his $40 million plus real estate portfolio there in the San Diego area. We dig into his first deal and then how he turned that into just a snowball of assets to build up just a very, very, very impressive portfolio today with so much more to come down the road. We get lessons that he has learned from his multimillionaire and billionaire clients that he works with in his real estate brokerage and so much more. So many great lessons in this one. You are going to learn a lot. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. And to date, I have acquired, invested in, partnered on or otherwise had a hand in over $150 million of commercial real estate acquisitions. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcasts user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating interview on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Jason Lee. We're digging into his lessons as a multifamily real estate investor and broker in the San Diego area, how he built a huge portfolio, how he does deals, how he builds relationships, how he builds partnerships, and so much more. Without any further ado, here we go. Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about what you do, what you invest in, where you're from, all that great stuff? Yeah. My name is Jason Lee. I'm a multifamily real estate investor and broker here in Southern California. I'm in San Diego here. My brokerage that I started about a year ago, been in the business for about five years, branched out on my own about a year and a half ago. It's called JLM Real Estate. And we've got a team of about nine agents and some operational managers. So small company, but you know, we, we've done a good amount of business in the last two years. In the last two years, we've sold a little over like $200 million worth of real estate, just apartment complexes, small to medium size here in San Diego. Done about a little over a hundred transactions. And then on the investment side, which is what I focus on about half the time. Without raising any outside capital, we own about 119 units here in San Diego and portfolio value is about 45 to 50 million. Can't remember exactly, but that is, that's my short little bio. 
Nice. Well, portfolio within to the closest 10 million, I think, is a, a pretty impressive metric. What, in, in your experience, what makes a successful multifamily investment in an expensive market like San Diego? Yeah, I, I think in, in an expensive and competitive market like San Diego or any big city, what really makes the great investor stand out from the mediocre ones is the relationships. I think there's always a good deal to be had. Brokers are always finding deals. So if you know you know, at least four or five brokers and they're sending you the deal first, I think anyone can find a good deal in any market. You know, some Sometimes there are more slim pickings than others, but I think right now is a great opportunity to find real estate because the buyer pool is getting slimmer and slimmer. So there's less competition, unlike the highest of the highest competition in, you know, like 2021, early 2022. So yeah, that's what, that's what I think is the relationships really with good brokers and good professionals in the area that'll send you deals is what keeps your business growing as an investor. Great, great. Okay. So talking about going, like deals going through brokers and having broker relationships, and that's a big thing that a lot of folks run into when they first start investing in multifamily is they can see how many, what percentage of the deals go through brokers. And it's a matter of the chicken and the egg. You have to have the broker relationships to get the deal flow in the first place, but you need the broker relationships to get the deals presented to you and you need deals to get the broker relationships. So kind of where do you get started from your experience? How can investors be successful in building relationships with successful brokers in their area? Yeah, that's a great question. I've been asked that a lot. If you're just getting started, I would highly recommend reaching out to three or four brokers in your area who have good amount of listings in the asset class you're looking for. You know, if you're looking for, you know, office and retail, reach out to three or four brokers who you see are active on LoopNet or on other, you know, on Crexy, other commercial real estate platforms where, you know, where there's listings going on. And if you're multifamily, same thing, right? But the way to really stand out from people when you're just getting started is, you know, I talk to a lot of people today, a lot of buyers, a lot of sellers, and a lot of people I talk to who are buyers just tell me, you know, find me a good deal. I'm looking for something, you know, that I can make money on. Very low amount of criteria. If I talk to a buyer for the first time and they tell me exactly what they're looking for, what location, what price point, you know, value add, turnkey, whatever it is, if they, the more info they give me about themselves and about their current, you know, buying situation, the more I want to help them because they're giving me something to work with. It also helps if you're a new buyer and you tell a broker that you're well capitalized or you have capital to place. If I'm talking to someone and I feel like they don't have the funds to, you know, buy the property I send them, they probably aren't going to get the deal, you know, first, second or third. So that's a great way to get your foot in the door. Also, a lot of brokers, they're the ones asking for meetings with investors in the area, buyers, sellers. So the way to make yourself stand out is if you're a new buyer in the area, maybe, you know, take three or four brokers out to lunch and build that relationship that way. So you get that face-to-face time. One phone call, one email isn't going to cut it. You have to follow up. You have to meet face-to-face. You know, we have to know who you are and, you know, what you stand for and what you're looking for. So those are some tips. I can give more, but those are just some quick tips on how to like go from a beginner investor to actually building some relationships in the market you want to start in. Okay. So you mentioned taking brokers out to lunch, which is a great strategy to start building that relationship. It's a little, folks might run into a a stumbling block in a certain sense, or maybe an excuse is a better way to put it. If they're investing outside of their area, they might say, well, I'm going to have to fly halfway across the country to go take this guy to lunch. Is it really going to be worth it. Is it worth it? I mean, what's the best way to kind of capitalize on that? If you're making the investment to travel, you know, take a plane flight or something to get to another market, 
what's the best way to capitalize on starting that relationship and you know making sure you actually do get deal flow? Yeah, I mean, I have an investor from uh, from Arizona and te- some investors from Arizona and Texas. First time I met them were from were from Zoom calls. So you know, with, with technology, it's it's easy to see someone face to face. So even if you're not taking them out to lunch, you know, you can still meet face to face like we are through a computer. That's one option. Second option is you know, I think if you're investing out of state, you have to visit the market. You have to meet people who are going to be a part of your team in order to manage your portfolio while you're not in the exact city. So if I'm a California resident, I'm looking to invest in Richmond, Virginia. I better fly out there and meet the potential service providers that could help me, you know, manage my portfolio, like property managers, contractors, potential banks in the area. So while I'm doing that, I'd highly recommend, you know, doing your due diligence and also meeting people that can send you deals, like two or three brokers, while you make a trip out there. So those are two ways I, I've seen it done and can be done if you're looking to invest far away from where you are currently living in. Gotcha. Okay. So you also mentioned, you know, pulling up a list of look for folks that are active on LoopNet or Crexy. A couple of years ago, you broke out on your own, started your own brokerage. Do you think it can be an effective strategy to target a, a broker like that who's kind of getting started hanging his own shingle, breaking out on his own? Maybe, you know, was trying to look to build his buyers list rather than going after, you know, the top one or two producers in a given area? Yeah. I think it's going to do a mix. People are always looking for, you know, new clients, but I do recommend going for brokers who are still, you know, younger and hungry and active on the phones because those are the people who are actively talking to people and digging up deals. If you talk to someone who's, you know, about to retire and you want to build a relationship with them, they're not working as much, but I would, I would highly recommend, I would highly recommend, you know, diversifying who you do talk to of all ages, because even though that older broker who's done great in his or her career might not be working as much now, might be a part-time broker, but you know, they know a lot of older sellers that might be looking to get out or, you know, asking them for advice. So they're getting clients, you know, old clients calling them, asking them to sell their property. So yeah, I mean, I've seen the most successful brokers in my area. They know brokers of all ages. I think you have to know at least four or five to have good deal flow in your market. It's not like residential where you know, if you just stick with one agent your whole life, you're going to be fine because you're only working on, you know, consumer-based markets, just on-market MLS. You see what you get, right? So the way to find the best deals is, you know, getting the deal first from four or five brokers in your market who are willing to invest their time into you. Gotcha. Great. So I think another big shift that folks tend to have to make in the commercial space is, when we're going and you're buying a house off of the MLS, we're used to representative for the seller and a representative for the buyer, realtor for for each party. Whereas in the commercial space, that's quite a bit less common. You oftentimes just have a broker working with the seller and that's it. But what's your experience there and opinion on buy side brokers or you know representatives? Buy side and commercial? Yeah. My opinion on a buy side broker is... I mean, I, I don't know any people in commercial real estate or just buy side brokers. Usually they're most of them. I, mean, I don't know anyone that who just represents buyers, but most people I talk to are, are talking to sellers, talking to buyers who are friends in my industry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. They're pretty well diversified. So you built an impressive portfolio pretty quickly, especially before you started bringing in outside investor capital. And 
I'd love to dive into how you did that, of course, the tactics and strategy of building that portfolio, but then also the mindset and mentality that enabled you to you know, achieve that and build that portfolio. So can you walk us through kind of the the sticks and stones of you know the the properties themselves, and then we'll dive into the mindset piece of things. Yeah, for sure. So bought my first property in late 2020. It was a duplex that I bought in mid-city San Diego for about 630000 Got a really good deal on it because, you know, the buyer, I mean, the seller inherited it and it was a basically a trustee sale and the trustee lived in San Jose, which is about, you know, nine hours away from here in Northern California. So they're an out-of-town seller and they ended up listing the property with an older property manager and they listed the property very low. And before it went to market, I called the seller and he gave me the manager's number. So I was direct to them and they priced the property at 750 and the property basically needed to be rebuilt. Like the foundation was screwed up, plumbing, electrical, all just strips the studs in order to make it habitable. So I got a reduction to, you know, 120K reduction of 630,000. It was a three bedroom, two bath in the front and a studio in the back with two garages that are freestanding. In California, I don't know about in the East Coast, but in California, there's a big thing going on about EDUs, accessory dwelling units, where you can convert existing inhabitable space into habitable space into legal units. So I turned that duplex into a fourplex and I had appraised for like 2.2 million and I was into it for a million. So I made over a million bucks in equity on that, pulled on my cash out and much. And during that time, I had saved up a lot of commissions from you know selling properties. I probably made about, saved about like a million and a half in commissions from, you know, selling my investors different properties in the area. So I deployed all that money into projects just like that. Like I bought three or four other fourplexes where I made, you know, equity on like 800K pops per property, my partner and I. And so, yeah, we, we bought it 50-50 our own money. And after like we bought six or seven properties that were smaller, the following year in 2021, we did a 1031 exchange, took all that equity and bought bigger properties like 10 units, 12 units, an 11 unit by the beach, a 16 unit by San Diego State University. So the whole method we used was buying properties that are off market at a very low valuation compared to market value. And we fixed them up and then we sold them for like double what we bought them for and then bought bigger properties. That was our whole our whole strategy. Wow. So really rolling things forward. I, I think a lot of folks, they get scared of making that, doing that first deal. The one they, they hear a duplex that is, you know, relatively high, relatively expensive, although not for California, but still needed fully rebuilt on the inside. And yeah, there's all this potential upside, but it's a pretty substantial investment or a risk. And they kind of get stuck in the paralysis analysis or paralysis by analysis stage. How did you plow through that? Was it your real estate brokerage experience that you'd done before that helped you be comfortable or like, how'd you, you know, have the, the, the guts to push forward? Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I mean, your, your first investment's your toughest deal because you don't know a lot of things. So as a broker, I had the opportunity to ask my clients on what a good deal was, what a bad deal was. I was always picking their brains on how they built their portfolios because I have, you know, some multimillionaire up to billionaire status clients. So I think picking their brains and understanding how they made money was really helpful to understand. But even when you think you know everything, you're still going to have thoughts in your head that something's not going to work out or this is a bad idea. So I think just being aware of that and I'll never forget one of my clients told me like, you know, no matter how good a deal is, you're 
some side of your brain is always going to think it's too risky and you just got to follow your gut and go with it. And I knew I was buying a really good deal. It was priced extremely well compared to market value. So I think just knowing the numbers really well and understanding, you know, if the numbers work or not, instead of being emotional about it, because if you're emotional about it, you're probably going to back out. So if you're more objective about it and you say, you know, if I get this amount of money or this X return, it's a good deal for me. If not, I'm not going to buy it as a much better way to go about it than saying, you know, do I feel good enough today to buy this property? <laughs> okay. Okay. So you mentioned having, you know, clients and contacts who are high net worth, ultra high net worth, and kind of looking at how they made their money and trying to, you know, imitate that or apply that. What did that really mean to you? Did it mean limiting your potential downside while, you know, going after strong potential upside or, or how did you really like apply that to your investing and, and business strategy? Yeah. One thing I learned that I'll take away for the rest of my life is, you know, the billionaire status clients told me that, you know, they buy in all markets, whether the market's going down or up, they're always buying, always looking for opportunities because no matter what, if you're creative, there's always a good deal in any um, And I've seen that to be true so far. You know, point number two that I've seen that I learned from my clients is you have to be a master of the market you're in. So you have to know exactly what properties are selling for, exactly what prices people are buying them for. The easiest way to lose money in real estate is, you know, being the highest comp as a buyer. You want to be the highest sales comp as a seller, not as a buyer. And if you're, you know, if you're paying retail value for a property that has no upside to increase in rents or add value to, you know, I've been told it's a bad investment. So I've followed that model. That's not true for everyone. If you buy a property that cash flows day one and it's fully remodeled, you know, it doesn't have much upside, but you don't have to do any work. If you're someone who, you know, makes a lot of money in other industries, you want to place capital and you want to get tax benefits, it's it's a good way to go. But if you're an operator and you want to grow your portfolio and be an active, you know, like general partner kind of person, it's always going to have that value add component if you want to grow quickly. Okay. Okay. So that's interesting that the the billionaire clients buy in all markets. And I've heard other folks say that as well, but do they change their buying criteria in the worst markets? Do they shift over time? I mean, is that the kind of the fluid part of things, but how do they really apply that philosophy of, of buying in all markets? Yeah. So the philosophy is actually very simple. So like I said earlier, they're extremely on top of current sales in the current market. So you know, let's say at the best of times, things are selling in San Diego for call it, you know, four or 500 unit in a certain location by the, you know, if we look three years later, the market went down and now they're selling for call it 400 unit. The billionaire will buy in both markets, but they'll make sure to buy below the comps. So he makes sure to buy at least you know, 10 to 20% below the current selling value of other properties. And he makes sure that there's room to increase those rents to make the property worth a lot more than it is today. Okay. Okay. And that is buying below, buying 10 to 20% below the comps in looking for properties that are undervalued because they need work or they need some kind of repair and, and getting to the, getting them to the point where they're valued similar to the market, if I'm getting you right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. So I'm also curious how, you know, we've had interest rates going up for a little while now and changing the market and all of that. I'm curious how a more expensive market like San Diego and what you've seen, how that has shifted over time, if at all. I mean, has there been a downward trend? And 
have things slowed down? How has that changed as rates have gone up? Yeah, it's a great question. Transactions have definitely slowed down. It's kind of a standoff right now between buyers and sellers in our market. Sellers, you know, most sellers are well capitalized. They have very little debt in our market. I know it's different for other, you know, fast growing markets or more volatile markets like Phoenix or Las Vegas, where a lot of inexperienced syndicators took on, you know, bad short-term debt and now, you know, we're trying to exit the four cap, but that's not doable anymore. So anyways, in San Diego, it's a little different because it's like a core, core market. A lot of mom and pop owners who have a ton of equity and a lot of them own the property all cash. So in our market, like you don't see a lot of pain or motivation. That's why San Diego is kind of like a safe haven. It's a very recession resistant market. So right now buyers are looking for those lower prices and hoping that prices go down. But, you know, there's still trade buyers, exchange buyers who are paying, you know, yesterday's prices and sellers are holding firm. So I guess we'll see how it shakes out. But as of right now, and as I've seen it, you know, when, the, when, when this happened, when COVID first hit during the pandemic, the same kind of standoff happened, but, you know, sellers obviously won that one. So I guess in San Diego or Southern California, we'll see who wins this little standoff that's going on right now. <laughs> so in that, that vein, you were talking about mindset. And I hear a lot of folks today talking about how, you know, the big one's right around the corner. We may be on the brink of the next great recession, so on and so forth. I'm sure you've heard that kind of a thing too. And I don't really want to opine whether that's necessarily going to happen or not. Well, I will say, I don't think so, but you know, whatever. Let's say you assume that it is. How do you still kind of keep your head on straight in that market and not be, you know, chicken little, you know, the sky is falling and just afraid of doing anything? How do you, you know, keep pushing forward and, and keep doing deals? Yeah. I mean, I think the people who try to create fear in the market are the ones who don't have the, who don't even have the chance to buy property. Like usually I've seen that the people who are the most pessimistic, even in an up market or a down market are the ones who don't have the capacity to actually transact. So like, you know, I saw this video the other day about this guy who's probably doesn't have any properties, hasn't done a deal in his life. And he's saying that the sky is falling and real estate prices are going to crash. If you look at history, I go off data. So if you look at the data, there were several recessions where, you know, the S&P 500, the Dow, they did crash. You know, they did last year as well. And real estate did just fine. Like the only big recession where real estate really, really took a huge hit was 2008 to 2010. But that's because you know, anyone with a pulse could get a mortgage, you know, in 2004, five, six, seven, right? So the debt that are on these properties in residential and commercial are a lot better. B borrowers are a lot more qualified. People have a lot of equity this time around because there was a huge run up these last three years or the last, you know, 14 years even, right? I think the people who are saying that, you know, things are going to collapse. I mean, sure, prices might go down five, 10%. Do I think it's going to be the biggest recession of all time, I think definitely not just based off the stats and the facts that I look at. Mm -hmm. Okay. You really also briefly touched on, briefly mentioned uh, you had a partner in some of these deals. And I know folks out there, you know, they hear about investors partnering up, finding people to work with. Maybe, you know, one guy provides more of the money, the other guy provides more of the work or the dealer, you know, whatever, however it's set up. How did you look at finding a partner to work with and, and you're vetting them, making sure that you're comfortable working together, everything that you know you would do ahead to, ahead of time before actually doing a deal with them? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I definitely think 
going into a partnership before getting in a bed with that person, you really have to know what their values are, how they act, and if they're, you know, truly a good person or not, right? You don't know that until you get to know that person. And, you know, meeting someone at a conference or having lunch or dinner twice with them is not going to bring out a person's true color. My big advice that I would have for someone who's looking to partner or find more partnerships is to do what I did. What I did, you know, my exact story was you don't have to follow my model exactly, but what happened with me and my partner who done a ton of deals together is me as a broker, he was one of my best clients. You know, I had sold him, you know, four or five, six deals within a span of a couple of years. We've had deals go south when I was a broker. We've had deals go well. And I saw how he acted in the bad times and the good times. And I knew he was a genuinely good guy, easy person to work with, you know, never, you know, try to nickel and dime me. So he had great morals all the good signs of a partner. And uh, one day I had four or five deals under contract to buy on my own. And I kind of told him about him because he's a lender full time. And he asked if he could, you know, partner 50-50 and get us a debt and ended up working super well. So I think just from that story, anyone that's listening should understand that you have to see how a person acts in the bad times and not only the good times, because when things go south and you see some sort of challenge faced with you or your potential partner, that's when you kind of see their true colors come out and, you know, actions speak louder than words. So you have to understand that you have to see all angles of someone before you get into bed with them. Nice. Nice. I love that. It's a great way to uh, put it. I'm glad we dove into that. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Jason, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Yeah, I would say the best investment I ever made was probably a property I bought early on in my career. So this property I bought, it was actually sitting on the market and it was the middle of the pandemic. Not many people were looking at that. It was a four unit, all two bedroom, one and a half baths, about a mile from the beach down here. And it was listed for like a little over a million bucks, like 1.1 million. And I got under contract at a million fifty. Ended up closing at nine hundred and seventy-five thousand. And I put about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of work into it. So I was into the property for call it, you know, almost a million two. And I sold that property for about two million and bought an eleven-unit property even closer to the beach. And that was probably the best investment I've ever made so far. Awesome! Wow. So you mentioned a few price reductions in there. How did those price reductions come about? Yeah, so the first one, I made an off 50K below market and they accepted it. Two reasons for that. One, they were very motivated. Two, they didn't have that much interest. They had one other person, but they kind of flaked. So there wasn't much competition. So I, I kind of got in at a good time when people were still scared of you know COVID. 
And the, and then for the other reason that I got the other price reduction is because the roof had to be completely replaced. It was like a $40,000 job. I had a ton of damage to the wood and mold issues. So that was the reason for the second price reduction during escrow. Wow. Wow. Okay, great. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Yeah. Besides... <laughs> Besides the typical one, getting a college education, I think that was the worst investment I ever made. <laughs> I'll name something that's more real estate related. It, it has to do with another property I bought. The reason why it was a bad investment, I still made money on it. I did well, but it caused me so much stress and I lost a lot of money on the rehab because I hired you know, a nightmare contractor. The sad thing was he was actually a referral from a person that I trusted, but I think he gave me like his worst contract. I'll tell you all the red flags that you should look for. One red flag was he didn't have his license. Second red flag, he barely put anything in writing, but I was too dumb to know that you should have everything in writing. And number three was, I mean, he was a, a straight a straight up liar. He lied to me about a lot of things during the process. So basically I gave him a total of about $80,000 and he did about $20,000 worth of work. He kind of like hid a lot of things and said a lot of things to where, um, where he, he told me he was doing more work than he actually was. And I believed him because I was kind of young and dumb at the time, didn't know much about construction. And basically I called him out and said, you know, I'm not giving you any more money until you do more work because we only have, you know, this much left in our contract. And he basically just ghosted me. And I had to basically restart with a new contractor, spend an extra a hundred grand because all the work that he did was completely wrong and, and screwed up in the wrong order. So that was the biggest learning experience and also the worst mistake I ever made in my real estate career. Wow. So were you able to, you know, go to court or something or recover any of that lost money or was it just a, a seminar as sometimes folks will put it just lost? <laughs> yeah. I, I tried going after him, but he's not even a U.S. citizen. He lives in Mexico. Yeah. He's, he lives in Tijuana. It's like, you know, 25 minutes from San Diego. So it, it, it was tough. Wow. Wow. That is, that is a bummer. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Yeah, I think one of the most important lessons I learned that I want to talk about is valuing relationships over the money or the commissions or the sale. I think early on in my career, that was the biggest thing holding me back. And once I started focusing on building deeper relationships, you know, putting the client before me, seeing what the seller's looking for instead of just seeing them as a dollar sign. That was the most important switch that I made early in my career that I wish I made earlier. You know, you want to be the guy that has a great reputation or gal that has a great reputation, does that does right by people. And you want to do, you know, 10 to 20 deals with one person instead of doing 10 to 20 deals with 20 people. It's a much easier, easier transaction if you're doing several deals with one person instead of just turning and burning clients. So I would just say, put relationships over everything when it comes to any business. Awesome. I love that. That's a great lesson. Jason, I want to thank you so much for joining us today, today and sharing so many great lessons with us. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah, you can track me down on any of my social media channels. Just my full name, Jason Joseph Lee, or you can email me at jason at jlmrealestateinc.com and I'd be happy to respond and help you with any real estate questions.
Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.